Psalm 77, verses 1 to 14, for the director of music for Juduthan of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Thanks, Tony, and uh, appreciate your reading. Let's pray. Father God, um, we come before you now doing the very thing our theme is based on this morning. We're coming into your presence. Um, we're doing so only because of Jesus. And we're speaking with you and asking to hear from you. Um, we thank you for the joy of being able to gather together as a church family we thank you for each one that calls this place their church home, um, past and present. And Father, we thank you in great hope and faith for those yet to be a part of your family here. Give us eyes and ears uh, to see others and to hear others and to meet their needs where they're at. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're having a look at the start of school holidays at the topic of prayer. And uh, I'm going to do that a little bit differently um, in that I was uh, challenged earlier this month by a devotional reading and challenged so much I thought, wow, I really want to share that with the church. So I don't normally do this, but I'm, I'm pinching seven things uh, that we were challenged by in a devotional reading by a pastor theologian uh, called Paul Tripp on the subject of prayer. And um, maybe for many of us, this is an area in our lives as Christian people that we sort of go, mm, well, prayer, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. I, we, well, we pray of sorts. Maybe at the very least, we might pause to pray and give thanks for the food we're about to eat uh, or to acknowledge the provision of it and, uh, and so on. We call that grace. Um, maybe we pray before we 
fall asleep at night and the, uh, the, the, the dark hours and the heavy eyelids close? How many people have fallen asleep before you've even heard yourself say amen or finish it up? It does happen, doesn't it? And maybe you're someone uh, very dedicated and you have actually put in place the discipline of beginning your day when you wake up in prayer, even just a short prayer and acknowledgement of God's, um, God's provision and his presence as you go forward into your day. Um, but we certainly put thought and effort into the prayers we pray here together as a church. And again, we've been led beautifully in prayer uh, by Pete and Heather this morning. And uh, prayer is a serious thing. And it's a really important thing. And uh, I must confess, I, like all of us, struggle to pray. It doesn't actually come naturally to us. Even with God's help and the Spirit living in us, um, perhaps His work is is often more prompting us out of a sense of guilt that we're not praying enough or well enough or deeply enough. Um, And yet we seem to sort of, to to really struggle with it. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Um, The rest of you are doing well more than happy to step down and swap. Maybe, that, maybe I should go and do some work on prayer. But anyway, um, you get what I'm saying. For the most part, prayer probably doesn't always take the pride of place that it ought to or that it can, that it can in our lives. We're, we're all mindful of great prayers, aren't we? This church, by the way, has been blessed abundantly um, with a small team of passionate and dedicated prayers. It's their gift, I'm convinced. They know who they are. Uh, some of us are on a little team, or some of them are on a little team that I'm on, um, and, uh, and we uh, pray for you uh, as those needs are brought to our attention. And then sometimes, uh, with your permission, we bring that to the church so that you can all together uh, pray for one another. We have been blessed by prayer in this church. But when we come across a psalm like this one, Psalm 77, um, we can suddenly get a different picture of, of, of what prayer can actually be. Uh, because as psalms were worship songs, this one, as Tony rightly said, is, a, is, is meant to be sung. Um, they are also prayers, um, and they're prayers of worship. And Psalm 77 gives us a wonderful example of a heartfelt and deeply authentic prayer. There's many we could have chosen from in the scriptures to set up this theme that we're looking at this morning. But we'll have a brief look at, at this psalm, and then we'll move on to uh, seven things... And don't worry, kids, we're not going to be here all morning. Seven things, uh, or adults for that matter, seven things about how, how prayer is worship. How we can see prayer as worship. Something more than just something we've got to do or a thought we've got to express or some sort of communication we have to keep up with God. Why do we so often struggle to pray consistently, um, eagerly and meaningfully when we, every one of us here would agree that prayer is important, why is it so difficult? Well, I'd like to suggest that perhaps our struggle might be because we haven't yet understood or fully understood what it means to see prayer as an act of worship. We often see it as something separate to worship or in addition to worship. So why ought we pray consistently, meaningfully, earnestly? Because it's ultimately part of our worship of God. Let's have a look at Psalm 77. Uh, One of the Psalms under David's reign, he would be king of Israel, he knew how to worship and many of these uh, were prayers that were written to prose and put to song and they'd be sung in musical worship of God. Now, I don't know about you, I can't think of too many songs that we sing in worship that sound like that, right? We're talking about a pretty heavy prayer, certainly um, the beginning part of it. And Psalm 77 is an example of many, 
although it's not quite the kind of expression uh, of worship that we would be used to. Um, the first 10 verses outline just how much trouble this person is, or, or the, the community are, when they uh, pray this, this prayerful song of worship, or this songful prayer of worship. Uh, it's rather bleak. It's a desperate lament expressed to God uh, about a life that's overcome with trouble and despair. Now, not wanting to make light of it, we all experience this, don't we? I know this morning there are a certain number of Swans fans who are feeling this, who would have been able to identify with this hymn after yesterday's um, <coughs> disappointing uh, performance. Um, and I have met one or two cat supporters who, are, who cannot identify with this psalm at all this morning and are worshipping and rejoicing. But in all seriousness, whether it's something as frivolous as football... Um, our lives will bring moments into them, or our lives will have moments where we are at rock bottom, where we despair, where we're in trouble. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. If you live long enough, you will have. Absolutely. And sometimes life can get us so down, become so overwhelming, that we can even begin, even those people of faith can begin to question the very nature and character of God. That's what's being done here in this psalm. There's a questioning of the very character and nature of God. Does God, uh, just have, going through it from verses 7 to 10, it's a series of questions. Has the Lord rejected me? Will he never again be kind to me? Has he removed his unfailing love from me? And have his promises permanently failed? This is from the New Living Translation. Does God even remember how to be gracious anymore? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? I hope you can hear in these questions of doubt and despair all the things that the psalmist knows God is and ought to be. And that's why the despair. That's why he's crying out to God. So how can this be worship? Well, notice that despite all his doubt and his despair about God's nature and character, it's still God to whom he's crying out to. Um, we have, this can threaten us sometimes as Christians. We hear someone complaining against God. You know, we, we, we come across it in the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, more so in the Old Testament. Um, they had much to complain about because God had made lots of promises and not all of them had yet been fulfilled. In fact, far from it. We know as New Testament people since Christ that in Christ God has fulfilled everything that he has promised. And so generally we're going to be rejoicing a whole lot more when we understand what Jesus has done for us. But in the Old Testament... There are lots of complaints. In fact, over, just over half of the Psalms are complaints or laments, anguish expressed to God. And yet it's still God to whom they are singing and crying out to and praying to. This person or this group of people are still talking to God, which is prayer. And by doing so, they clearly understand, they have an expectation, don't they? That God ought to be able to do something about the horrible trouble and desperate plight that they're in. You know, this in itself is an act of worship. And as a church who live this side of the cross, this side of what Christ has come and done, let me assure you there is still absolutely a place for and nothing wrong with crying out to God and asking questions of him. Respectfully, I've heard some, I've heard some pretty appalling statements and maybe I've thought them myself, where, you know, especially when I was younger, uh, where you cry out to God and you say things to him, you're really angry with him. Uh, but that, that's petulant, and it just means you don't actually understand who God is, which we'll get to in these seven points. But there's still a place, even for those of us with faith, even mature Christians, to cry out to God 
and to say, God, where are you? You don't seem to be here. I don't feel it. I don't see it. I look around and there's so many things going on. What are you trying? What are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? It's still worship. Well, crying out to him as desperately um, as we need to, it's something that God doesn't enjoy it, but God is with us in it. In fact, often when you get through really troubled, despairing times, don't you look back and you sort of go, oh, oh, where, where was he? Oh, there he was. That, he's brought me through it. And you suddenly see a whole different perspective of what you went through. And we realise that he was probably at that time, you were the closest to him. You were so desperately crying out to him in despair, but he was the closest to you. Well, I hope this serves as an encouragement and even a joy to each of us this morning that we have permission to express frustrations and despair to God in prayerful worship. But we can do so precisely because of what we know to be true about him in the first place. Have a look at the next little section there, verses 11 to 14. The psalmist's mind, despite how much trouble and despair he's in, recalls what they know and what they've experienced of what God has done in the past. In fact, it says there that their minds uh, minds, uh, uh, are full of it. They can't stop thinking about it. His wonderful deeds of long ago, his holy ways and his uniqueness in comparison to any other God, small g, in terms of his might and power. What about his wondrous works as creator and redeemer in the world? Um, You are the God of great wonders, of miracles, who demonstrates his awesome power among the people, among the nations. And these wondrous and powerful works of God fill the psalmist's mind constantly. Uh, Even in the midst of despair, they can't stop thinking about God's mighty acts, mighty works, which kind of only adds to the expectation of why aren't you doing something like we know you can and have done, God? I wonder, when I was challenged about this, and maybe you are this morning, how does this stack up to my prayers, to your prayers, when we cry out to God? Do we even cry out to God when in times of trouble or despair, or do we sort of block him out? He's the last person we think about, he sort of goes into the distance, and we try and pick up our bootstraps and figure it out, nut it out for ourselves. What are the things I say to God when I pray to him? And what do my prayers sound like when I pray to him? Well, um, I was challenged, as I said, by these seven ways to see prayer as worship. And for most of us, I suspect our prayers are a little more than a shopping list of wants and needs, aren't they? You know, that kind of list that we we write down and we kind of rattle off to God? Uh, Next slide, Andre. Sorry, I've gone off my notes a little bit. (laughs) Um... That kind, of, that kind of shopping list. Or, or maybe our prayers are more like this. This is if we're honest, <clears throat> and I'm including myself in this. They're these kind of self-centred requests for God to do something, to improve my life, to improve our lives, to make things better for us. Uh, sometimes they're quick, they're desperate, they're a list of things we want from God and expect from Him because we're panicked, things are getting urgent. And, and that kind of treats God very differently to how He ought to be treated it kind of treats God as like some sort of sky fairy, you know, with a magic wand that we expect to, to, to wave it and fix things up, rather than the creator of the universe who knows best, who's different to us. But you know, for many of us, if we're honest, this is how we approach prayer. And unless we understand that prayer is worship, we'll only ever struggle with it. And we'll always have this inferior experience of it. This is what Paul Tripp says about prayer 
in his devotional. He says, prayer is abandoning all other objects of worship and giving ourselves to the daily worship of God alone. That should be capital G. That's not Paul Tripp, that was me. Um, prayer is abandoning all other objects of, God, of worship and giving ourselves, the daily worship, giving ourselves to the daily worship of God and God alone. So what are the seven ways that prayer is worship? Well, the first one is this, that prayer acknowledges God exists in the first place. Let's go right back to basics. This is the bottom line of prayer. When you and I pray, you know, even if you don't yet know God fully through Jesus Christ, a lot of people pray, a lot of people pray that don't know Jesus, uh, especially in desperate times and despairing times, sometimes in anger, sometimes in hope. Um, but did you know that, that, that even to do that, when we come before God uh, to speak with him, or at least to, we're, we're acknowledging that he exists, right? We're confessing that he exists. And our prayers, for those of us um, who know him through Christ, um, they begin with recognising that there's something and, and someone more ultimate in the universe than us. It, we, we, it's a kind of a positioning. The minute you, we bow our heads, right, we close our eyes, there's a, a, a humbling, a humility, because it's not about us for that moment, it's, we're coming before the great one, the God. In fact, we're aligning ourselves with the very first four words of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. It's kind of like a reset. Despite all this that's going on, despite all the things I need or want, God, I'm coming before God. And he exists. It acknowledges him as creator. It acknowledges him as sovereign, the one who rules over all things. It acknowledges that he has power beyond us, that he is wiser beyond us, and that he has a rule beyond us. And it makes little sense to pray to God if we thought he was anything else. If we thought he was our equal, why would you do it? We don't pray to each other. Often the last people we go to are our peers for help because we know they're just like us. They're just as stuck as we are. You know, I've heard people say, you know, God's my, he's my big daddy, my big daddy in the sky, or he's my, um, my bro, or this sort of, sort of stuff. And I go, really? It's a very puny, small God, you know, if he's kind of on par with you like that. Uh, I know what it means, that we do have intimacy with God, and he is our friend, and he's our loving heavenly father, but he's not our equal. And of course, Jesus himself modelled this in prayer, didn't he? How did Jesus' opening prayer that he modelled for us when the disciples asked him, how do we pray? And he said, this is how you pray. Say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. What does it mean that God's holy? It means that he's not like us. He's other than, he's separate from, he's set apart, he's entirely different, even though we're created in his image. And that means when we come to him and acknowledge that, prayer isn't about us. Prayer is not about us. It's about him. It's about our relationship with him. First and foremost, prayer is about God, the one who is worthy of our worship. Secondly, prayer bows to God's glory. This is kind of similar but different. This is the constant requirement of prayer. We can't pray properly without recognising that there's a greater joy in this universe or a greater glory in this universe than our own. There's even a greater glory in the universe than the cool stuff that we see and often see glimpses of God's glory in. Even creation itself reveals God's glory, but not fully, right? Prayer is recognition that no created glory can or will ever satisfy us in our deepest needs, in our deepest desires of our hearts. And it flows from the understanding that it's only when we live for God's glory that our hearts can actually find contentment and rest. This has been known for, for, for centuries. One of the first early church fathers um, she might not have been a church father, but anyway, Augustine has that very 
well-renowned sound. You know, uh, our hearts are restless and they will only find their rest in him. It's this God-shaped hole that we have. So prayer bows to God's glory and not our own or anything else in this world. Well, thirdly, prayer submits to God's plan. Prayer isn't about asking God to endorse things. It's not about asking God to resource us uh, to achieve our own plans and purposes. That's not what he's there for. As much as God loves to bless us abundantly and promises to do so, it's kind of getting things around the wrong way to only think that that's what he's there for and to only pray to him for that. Uh, Prayer is recognition that the one who made the world, including every one of us who are praying, knows what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. He's the only one that has a perspective none of us can have, not even the smartest or wisest of us. God's perspective is outside of time. God, as the creator of us, knows what's best for us. Psalm 19, verse 9, we read this, reverence for the Lord is pure. It lasts forever. What's reverence for the Lord? Acknowledging his rightful place and ours. And the laws of the Lord are true and each one is fair. Your Bibles might also say the laws of the Lord are true and each one is righteous altogether. How how many of us cry out and go, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. We can say that, by the way. He's got big shoulders. But what are we saying? (laughs) We're saying, I don't think it's fair. Our declaration of, of humble worship, submitting to God's plan, is saying we trust you and you do know better. And while I don't get it and I don't understand and it feels unfair... I will wait upon you and I'll trust you that your laws are true and that each one is actually righteous, that that they are fair from his perspective. Well, how often do we come to God and we bring our concerns and our supplications before him and we think we know what's best for us? Think think about some of the prayers you've prayed. I know when I think about mine, I sort of go, oh, gosh, you know, I think, you know, this is what, you know, you're really asking God to bless your own plans. That's, That's what you're doing. We've got to be really careful about that. Uh, Paul Tripp puts it this way, and I love this. You know our little list we looked at before, the list? He says this, Prayer is actually handing over to God a blank sheet that we've already signed and approved of, trusting him to fill it out as he sees fit. It's a, a stark contrast to our shopping list, isn't it? Signing and approving a blank sheet, handing over to God and saying, I'm going to stand by and, wa- and I'm going to wait and watch how you fill it out as you see fit. Um, in my life. Well, fourthly, prayer confesses allegiance to God's kingdom. It's a recognition that, that on the side of, uh, of this side that we live of Christ's return as we await for, for Jesus uh, to come back, that we are actually fair and squarely in the middle of a war that rages. And many of us can be really get caught up in thinking that the war's between good and evil still, that the war's between God and the devil still. No, the war between God and the devil's over. It was over 2,000 years ago. As Pete rightly prayed from the scriptures and Jesus himself said as he died, it is finished, it's over. Satan was defeated. Satan is not, he is still a prowling lion, but he is not our biggest threat, I don't believe, this time. Our biggest threat are ourselves. Our biggest threat are ourselves and our selfishness. And the Satan who is not yet fully defeated or knows the war's over, he's not yet fully defeated, he uses that against us. He uses self against us. He's not the, if only he was as obvious as the devil-horned red guy that's really angry with flames all around him, we'd be able to go, okay, well, I'll steer clear of that. He's far more subtle than that. He taps into our egos, our pride, our selfishness. 
And so prayer, when we come to God, confesses our allegiance to God's kingdom in the middle of this this war that rages between God's kingdom and the kingdom of you and the kingdom of me, our little small kingdoms. And and in prayer, uh, we don't ask God to endorse um, our self-focused little dreams or in the words of Paul, trip, he says here, or uh, of our suffocating and claustrophobic kingdom of one. Rather, we commit our prayers to the plans and purposes of God of his kingdom and we seek the grace to be a part of what he's doing and we do our best to not get in the way of it we do our best to hold on for the ride to faithfully respond and walk with in faith and trust god going before us again if we look at the words of jesus himself in matthew chapter 6 verse 33 what did he say about the kingdom as the king coming to bring God's kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. All the shopping lists, all the things we think we need, these things in time will be given to you because God knows your needs and he loves you as a good heavenly father. And he will grant us those. But seek first his kingdom first. Which means aligning ourselves so that we think in the same way as best we can. We think the way God does about his kingdom and how it ought to work. You know, there are so many other things that distract us in this world, aren't they, from God's kingdom that threaten uh, alignment. They promise satisfaction and contentment. And, and, and they're like little sparkly things and we sort of chase after them. Well, it's only when we see things through kingdom eyes that we realise that for the most part, that's all they are is distracting little trinkets. And they don't really reflect or align with God's kingdom. Prayer acknowledges this, acknowledges his existence It bows to his glory, it submits to his plan, it confesses our alignment, our allegiance, our loyalty to his kingdom. And fifthly, prayer rests in what God provides. I wonder if you were to think uh, for a moment about the way in which um, we most commonly pray. How often are our prayers kind of this panicked last-minute thought or this panicked sort of desperate urgency? How often is it that we're brought to our knees in, in humility before God, but, but we've, we've arrived because we've tried everything else and exhausted it? It's a last resort that we appeal to after we've exhausted our own resources. Well, when we come to pray regularly as an act of worship, we're actually resting in God's provision. We're, we're trusting in Him to provide all that we need. And it's restful. That's the peace that God promises to give us. It's not desperate, it's not urgent. As desperate and urgent as those things might feel and seem, it rests, our prayers rest in God's provision. It becomes an expression of trust, an expression of confidence in his character. It becomes an opportunity to reflect upon our experiences of him in our lives where he has been present and he's been sustaining. No matter how rock bottom or how dark our despair and our needs might be. We become calmer people when we pray as an act of worship. We become more confident in the security that God does and will provide for us. And as you, and I know many people have experienced this, people have lived in the faith longer than I have. You know, have you ever noticed people that you see and you think, wow, of all they've been through, have a look at how faithful they are, have a look at how restful they seem to be. What's the difference? Well, the difference is how they approach God in prayer. It's, the, it's, it's how they, they live out what they know to be true about God. That's the difference. And so we need to continue 
be encouraged by those sort of mentors in our life. Sixthly, prayer celebrates God's grace. We often hear the word grace, maybe that's all you pray, uh, is a warm, fuzzy feeling about great food um, or about his generosity. But prayer as worship can be a celebration of this immeasurably um, unpaybackable grace that God has achieved for us. That is a word. You can write it, you can write it down. It'll have a red line under it in your computer, but it is a word. Prayer can be a celebration of this. God's abundant generosity, his outpouring of love and forgiveness and all the things he gives us in Christ. God is always gracious towards us. Even while we are completely and utterly undeserving, God sent Jesus into the world and he sent him to give up his life and to do so in our place. We were the ones that deserved uh, death and yet Christ took our death for us. That's what we're going to be celebrating in part on, on, on Tuesday. Another brother has gone to be with the Lord and in faith, while Ashley has passed and he has died, in Christ he is alive. That's, that's, the, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road for our faith. Everything hinges on, on what happens after we die. In, in, and we know that in faith, that in Christ, Ashley and all those that have died in Christ are in fact not dead, they are alive. Well, every time we take time to pray, we come into the presence of God himself, we come in with bold confidence even. You know, we don't need to tiptoe around, we come in with respect, of course, and reverence, but with bold confidence. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us of that. Uh, you may remember that reading, it's a, a very familiar one we went through a little while ago. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly now enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened a new way, a life-giving way through the curtain, that was the curtain that separated all the people from God's, God's tabernacle, his presence, his manifest presence in the tabernacle was behind this curtain. And upon his death, you may remember, it tore, not from the bottom up, it tore from the top down. A very important detail. God ripped that curtain open. You now, all of you, in faith in Jesus Christ, can come into the holy place, which was reserved only for an elite few who went in there with fear and trepidation. They even tied a rope to them in, in past uh, Old Testament worship. They tied a rope to them because just in case they came into the presence of God and weren't worthy and died, hadn't done the rituals right, and they'd have to drag the body out. That's, that's fair income. That curtain, that, that whole difference and separation is gone. That's what Hebrews is telling us. And so now we since have a great high priest who rules over God's house. That's his people. Let us go right into the presence of God. Right into the presence of God and let's do so with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Well, lastly, prayer commits to God's work. It's an acknowledgement, you know, that in the meantime, as we await our own pending physical deaths or live to see the day Christ does return, in the meantime, between his first coming and his second and final coming, God has called us to partner with him, to do works of the kingdom, to participate in his kingdom work. And living in this in-between time, you and I are going to need a whole lot of wisdom beyond our own and a whole lot of strength for that work. And so when we come and we pray in worship of God, we're making sure that we remain connected to the, the ultimate and the best source of wisdom and strength that we need for the task of kingdom building. Despite how despairing it seems, that's what we're called to do. 
And it means to live in, in such a countercultural way to the world around us that people can't help but see a difference and want to know more. So, so how come you guys are different? You, you guys are weird. How come you're not, you're not as devastated with things in this world? You're not as... You, you've got, you, there's something... Some people express it in anger. They actually don't like Christians. They go, you look at you, you're, you're this and you're that and you think you're better than us and you, and, and you think, actually, look behind that. They're actually seeing something different. They're actually seeing something different. Don't bite back when you hear that. But by praying, we seek God's wisdom and his strength to do what he's called us to do because we're going to need it. Living counterculturally is not popular and we're demonstrating our commitment to the work that he's given us when we come and pray. We're taking it seriously. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, please give me what I need, your wisdom, your strength, to do what you've called me to do. We're taking it seriously, the work that he's called us to do. Well, there's the seven of them. I hope they've been a blessing to you. I might uh, include them in uh, next week's um, little church life email. You can go through and reflect a little bit more on them. But lastly, um, about prayer, Paul Tripp says this. He says, prayer is laying down our idols and it's kneeling before God in humble and joyful worship. And that's my prayer for each of us as we continue to practice more faithfully, more reverently, with more intentionality, more eagerness, more meaning, more depth, how we might pray. And I want to encourage us as a church... We don't just need a small group of prayers, faithful prayers. We can have a large group of faithful prayers. And I want to encourage each one to do that, to pray for this expression of God's church, to pray for all his churches in all parts of the world, to pray for the work that we're all called to do, to pray that many more people would come to see and taste the goodness of God and his great love for them. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are your people, so different from you, and yet we are image bearers of you, created equally, men and women. We thank you, Father, um, for the, the calling you've placed in our lives through Jesus Christ. Thank you for revealing him to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue uh, to reveal yourself to many people, to draw them into the relationship that we know we can have by trust and faith in Jesus, so that we can come boldly and confidently into your inner sanctum, into your very presence. We thank you for Jesus who made that possible. We ask Holy Spirit for his power, for his wisdom as we live in this world, as we do our best to reflect him. Forgive us for when we don't. Forgive us for when our own um, humanity, our own broken humanity comes to the fore again and shines through. We know, Father, that you are quick to forgive in Jesus. His death has covered our sins, past, present and future. So we lay claim to that with great thanks. We ask as we go from this place um, for your blessing in the things that we do. For some families, uh, things will be a little different over these coming two weeks. Uh, more intense time with the kids, um, uh, more opportunities for family. We pray uh, as we connect with our community um, that these would be opportunities to live life with others and to share your love in word and deed. We thank you that you go before us. We thank you that you have already mapped out and planned the path that you see fit for us to tread. Help us to be humble enough and reliant upon you enough to faithfully walk down that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.